Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. I pray that that's already your prayer this morning, is to walk with God, to learn how to walk with Him. Biblical Christianity is not just a Sunday event or a Sunday experience. It's walking with God as He dwells in us. Well, last week as we kicked off this series, I had the honor of ministering, looking at Abram, who now we know as Abraham, as God changed his name, and we looked at the message, making the cut. God has a cut, and God has a list, and uh, we need to be sure that we're on that list, and we've made the cut. And God has a covenant in Christ that he wants to be applied to our flesh. It's not by might nor by power, but by his spirit, saith God. For it's not through our works we're saved, but by grace through faith. Amen. Well, today I want to read from Genesis 29, beginning in verse 16. Genesis 29, beginning in verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in to her. I want to preach a message today titled, Jacob, Persisting for the Beautiful. Jacob, Persisting for the Beautiful. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that this is a context for your kingdom to come and for your Holy Spirit to move. I bind demons and principalities that would try to hinder or distract. The blood of Jesus is against you. The blood says enough. Curses are broken in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, you, in Jesus' name, we ask, would move in hearts and minds. For you're the Lord of the breakthrough and the anointing destroys every yoke. I yield to you, Holy Spirit, unashamedly. We ask, Lord, your holy fire would touch people's life today. That, Jesus, you would continue to build your church and the gates of hell would not prevail. It's in your name I pray. Amen. I'm confident that most of you have lived long enough in life that you faced something that you needed to persist in. When it comes to persisting, that means that you face something or you are dealing with a task or an issue in life where it's just not always going as expected or it's not readily coming easy and therefore it requires persistence. It requires persisting in that thing. 
The question often comes for you and I in life and the things of God and what God has for us, the question of how to persist. If life is going to require persisting, the question you and I need to answer is how to persist then. We live in a time where so many people lack the answer to that question. They lack the know-how. They lack the experience. They lack the strength and the resolve to persist in a matter. We live really in a time of a lot of quitters. Now it's one thing to quit in the right thing, like we talked about last week, to quit trying to earn salvation, to quit trying to earn through your own righteousness eternal life. You want to quit in that. You want to cease striving and know that only He, God, can provide the salvation and forgiveness we need. But there are many other things that in God's Word and in Scripture where we're called to learn how to persist in God. So how do you and I persist? So we're going to look at today in Genesis 28 and verse 1. The text of Scripture says, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Padan Aram to Laban the son of Bethel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. As I mentioned already that last week we looked at the life of Abram who God changed his name to Abraham, the father of many. Abraham had a son of promise, a son that was only achieved by trusting in the word of God, a son that was not achieved through his own human ability to naturally reproduce or depend on himself physically or physiologically, but he had a son of promise named Isaac. And right here in our text, Abraham prays, or he has a son Isaac, and then Isaac here in our text prays for his son Jacob. And notice what Isaac prays. He blesses Jacob, and he charges Jacob. Did you know that words charge? Blessings charge, and curses charge. One, however, charges for fruitfulness, the other for failure. Charge, think of your iPhone that many of you obsess about ensuring that you charge. It is getting a supply of the needed battery power to be able to function correctly. Well, words charge. Some charge so you can be empowered to function correctly the way God intended you. But curses charge you to try to fail, to empower you to fail in life, fail in what you would try to, in God, achieve. And notice that here, though, 
Jacob's father blesses him with a charge, a charge of blessing. And he says, may God Almighty bless you. He says, bless you, make you fruitful, and multiply you. He starts by saying, may God bless you. Because it's only by the blessing of God can you ever truly be fruitful. When it comes to true fruitfulness, when it comes to what God considers to be productive, when it, can, when it comes to what God considers to be fruitful, only the blessing of God can make that possible. Then after you have been blessed and you have been charged and empowered by the blessing of God, He says, now may you be blessed in order that you would be fruitful. Be fruitful. So only by the blessing of God can you truly be fruitful, but it's only by continual fruitfulness that you can multiply. See, when you have continual fruit, what's in fruit? Seed. And if you have continual fruit being born, then you have continual seed being sown. And when you have continual seed being sown, only then can you have multiplication. So he says, may God Almighty bless you, because only by the blessing of God can you be fruitful. And then only by continual fruitfulness may you multiply. May you be multiplied. And it's only by multiplication that there can be peoples, plural. It's only through multiplication that there can be many peoples or many groups of people. Here we see the result of what Jacob's father prays for him and blesses him that he would be fruitful and multiply and the result would be an assembly of peoples. He says, may God, the God of Abraham, give you the blessing of Abraham. The reason Abraham was able to walk with God, the reason Abraham was able to trust and believe God, the reason Abraham was able to move forward in the will of God is because he had the blessing of God. Scripture refers to it as the blessing of Abraham. And the Bible now says that in Jesus Christ, you and I have received that blessing. Listen to me, friend. You are called to be empowered to be fruitful for God. You are called to live a life of fruitfulness so that kingdom multiplication could happen in your life. You are called, just like Isaac prayed for his son Jacob, to inherit the land. What does that mean for you and I? God has promises for your life. God has promises for you. And it's the blessing of God that will enable you to experience and inherit the promise that God has for you. You know, this up front reminds me of the mission of Dwelling Place Movement in D.P. Woodstock to gather people to Jesus Christ and to lead them to biblical maturity for the multiplication of believers, laborers, and churches. That it takes the blessing of God, the empowerment of God, it takes the empowerment of God's Spirit to be fruitful. But it takes continual fruitfulness in order for you and I to see multiplication and to see peoples, groups of peoples, called dwelling places or local churches through the earth. Here, Isaac gives Jacob a charge. If you noticed in verse 1 and verse 2 of Genesis 28, he says, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. He says, But you should go and you should take a wife from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Here we see that spiritual fathers care about the context for the future seed. 
Spiritual fathers understand that the context and the culture of the future matters. That the context that as he began to think about future generations and his future lineage, when he began to think about his grandchildren and his grandchildren's children, he understood that the context that they would be born in, the context that they would be in uh, union with mattered. And he said, listen, son, don't go take a wife that lives in Canaan. Go to your mother's people. Go to Laban, your mother's brother, and there find a wife. There you'll find a context for our future generations to be able to better be served and positioned to move forward in God's plan for them. In verse 10 of Genesis 28, the Scripture says that after Jacob receives the prayer of his father and he gets charged by his father to go to Laban, his mother's brother's place, and to find a wife that Jacob leaves. And in verse 10 we pick it up. It says, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie will give to you and your descendants also to your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took, that, took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. So here we see Jacob heads out. He heads out and as he's traveling, the sun goes down and he's not yet made it to the destination. So the text says he comes to a certain place and because the sun has already came down, he finds a stone and he lays down for the night and he sets his head upon that stone. And as he slept, he had a dream. And God begins to speak to him in this prophetic dream. And he sees a ladder had been set up on the earth and it reached all the way to heaven. And it said the Lord stood above the ladder. Here we see in this text several things that you and I in life can apply. Several things that you and I in life must consider. We see the ladder and the angelic assistance and the issue of God's manifest presence. The gate of heaven and the house of God. Here, this ladder demonstrates that you and I could never build our own way back to God our Creator. Notice the text says 
that the Lord stood above the ladder. What that means is, is God stands above salvation. It is God and His ability that has provided salvation. It is God and His ability that has provided a way for you and I to be reconciled to Him. God has provided a ladder and His name is Jesus Christ. But notice because of Jesus Christ and because of the ladder that God has provided, now angels and angelic assistants can come upon the people of God. Jacob sees in the dream angels ascending and descending from the ladder because of the work of Jesus. You can expect divine assistance in your life. You should absolutely expect the angels of God to work on your behalf. The angels of God to go before you and to protect you and to heed back the hand of man from bringing harm to your life. That because a ladder God has set in place, you and I can have divine angelic assistance. We're not alone. God has ministering spirits, spirits that the Bible calls ministers of fire to minister to you and I who are uh, heirs of eternal life. Then God speaks to Jacob and he says, The land you're on, I've promised your forefather Abram, and now you and your descendants, you shall inherit this land. Jacob wakes up and realizes he's got promise of God undergirding his life. And in the text it says, in verse 16 of Genesis 28, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely, certainly, absolutely, the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Wow. You know, there's some of you here today. There's some of you listening by live stream. There are, over the years, I've seen multitudes of people that come on Sundays, come to gatherings, and they do not know that the Lord is in this place. Many think that we're coming to something like a TED Talk. Or we're coming to like to hear a lecture like when we went to college. And we need what Jacob had. We need to awake and realize surely and certainly the Lord is in this place. And because the Lord is in this place, all things are possible to him who believes. That right now the power of God's presence and the power to heal and the power to save and the power to deliver and the power to encourage and the power to set free is surely in this place. Why? Because God has provided a ladder. And because salvation has been provided, now the presence, the revealed, the encountered presence of God is available for you and I. That biblical Christianity isn't a dead religion. It isn't a religion where we don't have surely moments of encountering and saying, God, the creator of the universe is surely here in this moment. He's surely encountering me. He's with me. Notice you can be in this church. You can be going through life. And though God's presence is everywhere, you not be aware of His presence with you or His presence where you're at. And God wants His people to have surely's. He wants you and I to come into an awareness that surely God's presence is here. 
This brings the question to you and I. How do we become more aware of God's manifest presence? I appreciate those that's labored for generations in Western evangelical Christianity that God's presence is everywhere. The omnipresence of God Almighty. But can I tell you that that's not enough? That don't keep the next generation filled with faith in the fire of God to live for God. The truth that God is everywhere has to become where we awake to surely God is right here in this place. That His manifest revealed presence, we encounter Him. So how do we become more aware of God's presence? Well, we learn in this text, we can apply from it, that Jacob, when he has this surely, this moment, this revelation, this encounter with the manifest presence of God, his head had been laid upon a stone. Well, can I tell you, Scripture talks about a stone. It talks about a chief cornerstone. It talks about a perfect, beautiful, prepared stone by God. His name is Jesus Christ. And how to become more aware and have more encounters with God's manifest presence is you got to place your mind upon the chief cornerstone, the stone of God, Jesus Christ. You have to learn to think about Jesus. You have to learn to set your mind on things above. You have to learn to think about the stone of God, Jesus Christ, and what He's done. Secondly, you got to understand that the promises of God have undergirded you. When God speaks to Jacob, He says, The land on which you lie, I promise to you. The way to become more aware and have more encounters with the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit is one, what is your mind placed upon? But secondly, you got to let God's promises undergird you. You got to know that your mind is set on Jesus and then underneath you is the promises of God. That God has promises to never leave you nor forsake you. That God has promises like I preached two weeks ago that the good news, the kingdom is at hand to set at liberty them that are bound to preach and declare good news to the poor. That there is healing for the brokenhearted. That there is emotional healing to those that have been in turmoil to set at liberty the captives and to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. That this is the day that you and I can encounter the surely of God's man manifest presence and then we see lastly be open to the now word and work of God notice Jacob wasn't reflecting on a dream God gave him seven years ago ten years ago Jacob had an encounter with the now word and work of God if you want to encounter and become more aware of God's manifest presence, you have to be open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is seated right now at the right hand of God. He's not going to come and lay His hand on you. It's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is God, by the way, that we encounter what Jesus has done and what the Father has secured through His blood for you and I. That's why the spirit of prophecy, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is called, the test, He testifies to Jesus. And this is what 
Scripture refers to as the prophetic work of God. It's the now work of God. It's encountering in a created thing called time, God's work, the word and work of God's Spirit. It's a prophetic moment. Not what God said to you a long time ago, but being open to what God's saying to you right now. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what you're facing. He knows your concerns. He knows your fears. He knows where you have walls built up. He knows where you think you know more than you think you actually do know. He knows it all. But we have to be open to the work of God's Spirit. This is how we become more aware of God's manifest presence. What's your mind placed upon? Let the promises of God undergird you and be open to the now word and work of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, which is called the prophetic work of the now encountering word and work of God for your life and for your circumstance. And then notice what he says. He says, wow, I didn't know God was with me. I didn't know that when when we gathered that we can encounter God, that we didn't have to just go through routine and have dry religion, that I could truly be healed emotionally, delivered from bondages, delivered from things that afflict me when I leave these doors. Then he says, how awesome is this place? I want to tell you that there are some of you that don't walk and live in that reality. Because if you and I consistently lived in that reality of how awesome is the place where God is at and working in God's people, can you imagine the excitement, the expectation, the hunger you would come in here with? Surely God is in this place. We're talking about God. We're talking about the power that hung the stars, the sun and the moon. The God whose wisdom created the DNA and biology and science that allowed you and I to be formed fearfully and wonderfully made. How awesome is this place? Because surely... When two or three gather together in His name, there He is in our midst. we got to be a church that gets back to the awareness that what we're doing is not just doing something and going through the motions, that surely God is in this place because a ladder has been provided and set on the earth through Jesus that now we can have encounters with the divine ministry of the Holy Spirit and angelic assistance can be in our life. Hallelujah. He says this is the gate of heaven and the house of God. Can I tell you the good news today, friend? Wherever one rests upon the finished work of God's stone, Jesus Christ, there the ladder is. That wherever God finds a person that will cease striving and will rest their head and rest their life on the salvation that only God could and has provided in Jesus Christ, that when that happens, there the ladder of God comes. That there becomes access for that person to the very throne of God. There becomes access to the very presence of Almighty God.
and to His presence. That whenever one rests upon the finished work of God's stone Jesus Christ, their angelic assistance can work. There the gate of heaven and the house of God is. That reminds me a lot about a movement called Dwelling Place Movement and a local church in the movement called Dwelling Place Woodstock. That we're the dwelling place of God. That God no longer just dwells in buildings made by hands, but He dwells in His people. That wherever there is earth and earth, earthen vessel that will rest their head upon God's stone Jesus Christ and trust in His chief cornerstone that there becomes the house of God. There becomes the dwelling place of God. There the ladder comes where God's presence can feel that vessel called our body and our life that there as a gate we can allow His kingdom to come and His will to be done. Hallelujah. Then Jacob, after that, the text says, he rose early in the morning and he took that stone. See, once when you start having more actual encounters with the ministry of the Holy Spirit in God, in God's presence, notice he was early. Meaning, there's a godly, divine anticipation. He didn't wake up sleepy and slumbering and and not excited about life and not excited about the gathering. No, no, no. Because he had the now working of God in his life. He wasn't living off the fumes of of something that happened when he was 9 years old or 15 years old. He, He is having the now work of God still in his life. And he gets up early and he takes the stone and he sets it up as a pillar. Oh, can I tell you that there's a stone you can set up for your life? That there's a stone you can set up for your marriage? There is a stone that you can set up for your family? There is a stone that you can set up for your house? There is a stone that can be the structure for your way of living? And He is the chief cornerstone. His name is Jesus Christ. But you got to set Him up. you got to get up with anticipation and saying, I'm going to set the Lord up as the strength of my life today. I'm going to get up early and I'm going to set the Lord as the strength in this marriage. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to start early setting up Jesus Christ, the stone of God in my life, in my career, or how I do life. And then notice the text said, verse 18, then he poured oil on top of it. Genesis 28 and 18. Can I tell you there is oil for the stone? There is oil for the stone. Once you set up the stone, Jesus Christ, that your life would be built on Him, there's oil for that stone. God's got a promise. It's called the promise of the Father. It's not a promise to unbelievers. It's a promise to those who set the stone up as the pillar of their life, who have set the stone up as the foundation of their life. Those who are now children of God, can I tell you that you got the stone Jesus Christ as the pillar of your life? Well, God's got oil for you now. That now that you've received His Son, Jesus Christ, and you have become a son and daughter of God, God's got the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's got oil from heaven to come upon you. He's got a blessing. He's got an empowerment that you would no longer live like other humans. You would live with a divine enablement, a divine empowerment. God's got oil for the stone. Hallelujah. 
For some of you, you got the stone. But you need to understand that God long time before preached the gospel through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That once we have the chief cornerstone, God's got oil. He's got the promise of the Father. He's got the baptism with the Holy Spirit and power that you would live a supernatural witness to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in His kingdom. Hallelujah. There's oil for the stone. Then, in verse 20 of Genesis 28, Genesis 28, 20 and 21, says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Here we see Jacob begins to have a restful contentment. He says, God, if you just provide for my daily needs, Lord, if you give me food to eat and clothing to wear, that's enough. You'll be my God. Why? Because now he knows that wherever he goes, because he has the ladder, he has access to God's presence, then wherever he goes, he can have encounters with God. And that is his real sufficiency. That's where his real contentment's found. And then he just needs some clothes and some daily bread so he can live on the earth as he goes about life having divine encounters with God wherever he goes. This is what Paul, I believe Paul took it right from this story when he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and 6 and 7. He said, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. See, Jacob realized that the Lord's above the ladder. And Jacob realized that because God's provided a ladder, then he can have surely's. He can have an awareness wherever he goes that he can have divine encounters with the presence of God. But Jacob also understood there was no chance of him climbing that ladder when he died carrying a bunch of stuff with him. And he realized that his contentment was found the fact that God would never leave him nor forsake him and he had the presence of God with him. And that's what Paul says. Paul says, you're not going to take everything with you in that ladder. You're not going to. And so we see this restful contentment that comes as you learn to have now encounters with the manifest presence of God. Then in verse 22, notice what he does. He says to God, In this stone, Genesis 28, 22, And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you gave me, I will surely give a tenth, a tithe to you. This is amazing. See, where you get pillars, plural, and you get multiple gates, and you get multiple bodies made of land, dirt, there you get the house of God, the local church. This is what we see. Paul, when he tells Timothy, he says that there are pillars of the church. When you get multiple pillars, people have set their life up on the only stone, Jesus Christ. 
who are now gates for God's presence and God's word and work to work through them on the earth. Who are temples and bodies made of the land, the land of promise, that we have now become the dwelling place of God. There you get the house of God, the local church. Watch this. And where you get the house of God and the local church, there is where you are to put your tithe. This is what He does. He shows us the revelation beforehand of the tithe goes into the local church where a bunch of pillars come together, where God is building together a dwelling place for Him in the Spirit. The tithe, 10% of your income is to be there. And I want to tell you that we are facing some challenges in this nation and worldwide. And I sure don't want any of you to be heading into that time without your tithe being where it needs to be so that God's blessing and His now word and work can be with you and your family financially. The tithe puts a protection on your money and your family financially. So here we see then that eventually Jacob, after this encounter, he makes it to the east. He makes it to the land of his uncle Laban, the brother of his mother Rebekah. And in Genesis 29, verse 1, it says, So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east, and he looked and saw a well in the field. And there was a large stone over the well's mouth, and there was many flocks. Verse 4, Jacob said, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, Haran. And he said, Do you know Laban? And they said, We know him. Verse 6, So he said to them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And look, the, his daughter Rachel's coming with the sheep. And he looked, and it was high day. And verse 9 says, Now while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, he went near, he rolled the stone from the well's mouth. In verse 11, Jacob kisses Rachel and he lifts up his voice, he weeps and he tells Rachel, hey, I'm a relative. So she runs, she tells her father. Then Laban heard the report, he comes out and meets in verse 14. Laban said, surely you're a bone of my flesh, bone and my flesh, and he stayed with him for a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, verse 15, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Verse 16. This brings us back to our main text. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days. Someone say a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place, had a feast, and it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning, verse 25, that behold, it was Leah. And, and he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve me still another seven years. 
Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, so he gave him his daughter, Rachel, as wife also. And Laban gave his maid, Bilhah, to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. Here we see Rachel. In verse 9, there in Genesis 29, it says that she was a shepherdess. She was a shepherdess. Secondly, it said, the text did in verse 16, that Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate or were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he tells Laban, look, I'll serve seven years working for you if I can have your daughter, Rachel. And the text says that because he loved her so great that those seven years seem like a few days. Now, of course, the seven years end up turning into 14. Because Laban and the, you know, there wasn't electricity back then, friends. And they went into that dark tent and Laban sent the older daughter in. Jacob wakes up. Boy, if we only had that on video, what that moment was like. I mean, you talk about a shock. And Leah's in there. And and then Laban gets another seven years of labor out of Jacob. You know, Dr. Henry Cloud says research shows that wholehearted participation means you are fully engaged in what you are doing or with whom you're spending the time with in the moment. And research shows the more engaged you are, the happier you are. And on the contrary, the less engaged you are, the more time seems to take place. Watch this. Even in the less than ideal moments, you will experience deeper enjoyment by pouring more energy into being fully engaged. I want to tell you there's some people in this church and some people in life that the days, though it's been years, the years seem like days. You know why? Because they're staying fully engaged with Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, and the oil of God being upon that stone. They're staying more engaged serving in this community. I think back of how long we've been here now, it seems like days. You know why? Because we've had to be fully engaged. We've had to be fully engaged with all the G's. We gather as a family. We grow. I'm here every Thursday teaching growth phases. We used to have multiple connect groups in our home when we started this church a week. We give. We serve as we're going. For some of you, you're bored. Some of you, you've not had prophetic encounters and moments of surely God is in this place because you're less engaged. Research shows if you stay fully engaged, engaged in this moment, you'll be happier in life. And only when you're fully engaged in the moment can you have divine encounters with the God of the moment. See, listen, God is a God of the now. If you're so tied up thinking about the past and so tied up thinking about the future, you're missing what God is wanting to do in His manifest power and presence in your life right now. 
And I think about Jacob out there serving seven years where it says he was having loving days. His days were filled with the love. I don't know about you, but how many of you want to have days that you love in life? Days where you have a better sense of enjoyment and happiness. Days that are filled with love. Even if the years are long, they seem like days because you're fully engaged. Jacob was able to experience that because he was fully engaged in what he considered to be beautiful. He was fully engaged in Rachel that he considered to be beautiful. And what I'm trying to tell some of you, if you'll get fully engaged, if you think Jesus is beautiful, if you think the ministry of the Holy Spirit is beautiful, if you think the local church and the kingdom of God is beautiful, if you'll get fully engaged, that years won't just seem like years of routine. They'll seem like days because you'll have divine encounters and an awareness that surely God is in this place, in this place, in every place as I go through life. So what we learn from this text and this story is that you and I must learn how to persist for the beautiful. Notice here's Jacob. He thinks seven years is all it's going to be. And after seven years, he gets what he's determined beautiful, Rachel. But it's not. The seven years ends up turning into 14 years. And he had to persist for what he considered to be beautiful. And there's going to be things in your life, friend, that you consider to be beautiful. And God's not going to let you get them on your own timeline. He's not let you get them when you think things are going to happen. But how do you and I persist for the beautiful? This is what we can learn from this text today. Persisting for the beautiful. Rachel represents for you and I what you and I consider to be beautiful. He believed and, and, and saw Rachel beautiful and he persisted for the beautiful. Individually, this story represents you and I persisting both individually but us for a church for what we consider to be beautiful. Let me tell you what is beautiful. First, when it comes to the beautiful of God, it's not just your reflection. Think about this. Many have preached before and talked about, maybe you heard, they, they've called Jacob a mama's boy. Because Jacob was a twin and his brother Esau was a hunter. He was a man of the field. He smelt like the outdoors. The Bible says that he was hairy. He was a man's man. He was outdoors. He was a hunter. He, he would go and hunt and cook food for his father. But Jacob apparently didn't hunt. Jacob apparently didn't have a lot of hair. He was smooth skinned. And when it came time for his father to give the blessing, his mama orchestrated a plan, a plot, for Jacob to steal his brother's blessing, and Jacob obeyed. Because of this, many have saw Jacob as a mama's boy, as a person of the house, not a person of the field. A person of, of smooth skin and soft hands, not a man working in the field and working of labor. But yet, he finds Rachel beautiful, and Rachel is a person of the field. She was a shepherdess. And as a shepherdess, she's spending long times away from the house and she probably had more hair under her pits than Jacob ever had on his face. And she probably smelt more like the outdoors in the field than Jacob did. And what we see here is that when it comes to the beautiful, listen, the beautiful of God is not just what looks like us. 
A church that is beautiful of heaven is not a church of just people that looks like us. A people that has the same income as us. The beautiful of God is not just your reflection. God is so much bigger than Chad. He's so much bigger than you. God is a God of vastness. And that's why one of the values, core values of dwelling places, we're a multicultural fellowship. Hallelujah. Next, she was fit. What do I mean? She was active. She was active in life. Did you know that we are called to be fit, to be ready in Christ for every good word and work that God has created us for in Christ Jesus? That when it comes to the beautiful of God, the beautiful of God is that you and I would be prepared to offer the good works that you were created in in Christ Jesus. That listen, that you weren't just fit according to the world, you're fit for the kingdom of God. That you have learned to put your hand to the plow and not look back. You are fit to live out your kingdom assignment. That's the beautiful of God. You know what else we learned from the story about Rachel? And, and Jacob uh, finds her as his beautiful. He said she had a beautiful form and appearance. Form and appearance. You know what this represents? The beautiful of God is not an either or approach. It's a both and. There have been for decades a, a focus on excellence in Western Christianity and, and appearance, and rightly so. We should care how things look when we come in as God's people. You should care how you take care of the home God gives you. That appearance does matter, or God wouldn't have given us eyes. But listen, too many have went to extreme to fo focus just on the appearance but neglect the form. And the beautiful of God is both and. Things looking nice matters, but listen, the form and structure of how we get things done matter just as much. We don't want to have things that look well and good appearance, but yet we don't treat people well. We don't have a form for people to be led to biblical maturity. It's beautiful in form and appearance. Someone say amen. Another thing we see that Rachel, she represents the beautiful for you individually and us as a church, is she was people-oriented. She was a shepherdess. God uses throughout Scripture how sheep represent His people. And here was Rachel, a shepherdess, meaning she was leading and serving and protecting sheep. She was people-oriented. Listen, the beautiful of God is being people-oriented. Next, you know what else the beautiful of God is that we learn in Rachel? She was obedient to her father. It, it wasn't her sheep she was watching. It was her father's sheep. Let me tell you the beautiful of God is being obedient to, to God your heavenly father. Being obedient to, to spiritual fathers and mentors God's put in your life. That's the beautiful of God. Being obedient. Next generation, honoring your fathers and your mothers that it might go well with you on the earth for this is the first commandment of God with promise, Scripture says. This is the beautiful of God. So how do you and I persist in the beautiful? Not just the things beautiful that I mentioned here in Rachel, but the things that you have determined to be beautiful that God has for you are, are things that you desire in God. How do you persist for the beautiful in our lives? I want to leave us with six C's. Six C's. The first C in order to persist for the beautiful is what you consider. You, you have to be clear on what you consider to be beautiful. And once you know what you consider beautiful, you have to persist in considering and thinking about what you consider beautiful. Do you ever consider how you want to end up in life? 
I assure you, if you don't consider how you want to end up in life, you're not going to end up there the way you want. You're going to end up where someone else wants you. You're going to end up where the culture or the devil wants, but you're not going to end up in what you would consider to be beautiful. You have to consider it. And as you consider it, you've got to consider how much it's worth to you. What you consider beautiful, you've got to con- consider the worth of what you've determined is beautiful. You've got to think of the beautiful like a crown of jewels. And when you consider how much it's worth to you, you'll begin to persist in it. That's why Romans 8 and verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. See, when you think about what you've determined to be beautiful in your future, what you want in God, and you determine it's beautiful, as you consider the worth of it, the current setbacks and suffering seem like nothing compared to the beauty of when that thing's achieved. This is how you persist for the beautiful. In James 1.12 it says, Blessed is the person who endures temptation, for when he or she has been approved, they will receive the crown of life. You've got to see the beautiful that you have set upon and determined, the things in life and the things in your future that you determine are beautiful. You've got to see that they're like a crown of life. And therefore you have to persist. You have to endure. Don't give up. Everybody say consider. Next, you've got to have a conviction. You've got to have an inward determination. This is of your heart, a passion, an emotional energy that that's beautiful to me. I don't care if the world thinks that it's beautiful. I don't care if the world determines that that's beautiful. I have a conviction that that's beautiful to me. And I want that in my future in God. I want that in my experience in God. It's beautiful to me. When it comes to the beautiful in our lives... And things that are beautiful to you, you need to, however, make sure that the Lord does not say that it's not beautiful to Him. But as long as the Lord doesn't say that it's not beautiful to Him, but it's beautiful and it's beautiful to you, then He's okay with it. You've got to have conviction. This is what Romans 14, 2 through 8 teaches. That one believes they can eat all things. They believe that the buffet is beautiful. And I saw the buffet... Restaurants are advertising again. They're letting you know we're wide open and we need your pockets wide open again. We're hurting. Come and get the buffet. But there's one who's weak and eats only vegetables. They think only vegetables are beautiful when they walk through Kroger or Walmart. But let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? This is judging on things on personal conviction. It's not standards that God has for all people. That there are some things you can determine that's beautiful for your life and the Lord says, well, that's not not beautiful to me and it's okay for you, but not every child of God has to think that thing's beautiful or have that in their life. He says in verse 7, For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. He says, if you observe a day, do it to the Lord. He says, if you want to eat vegetables, do it to the Lord. Be fully convinced in your own mind. Have conviction. So everybody say, consider. Say, conviction. In Nehemiah 6.3, you know when uh, they wrote the letters to try to stop Nehemiah and the work? He said, I'm doing a great work. And the letters came from people who didn't think he was doing a great work. But he had conviction. And he... Continued in the word. Thirdly, character. In order to persist for the beautiful in your life, you have to have character. Because godly character is 
having godly knowledge that leads to self-control that only then can there be godliness in your life. And so part of character is adding to your faith biblical knowledge, but also adding self-control. Listen, self-control means persisting. To get godliness in, in your life, to get the beautiful of God in your life, it's going to require knowledge, and to acquire knowledge takes persisting. It's going to acquire self-control. Having self-control requires persisting. Everybody say character. Next, the cloud. Come on, man. The cloud. What this means is the context and the people you surround yourself matters. If you're going to persist in the beautiful, you've got to understand the cloud. You remember the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12.1? He says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance. Let us persist the race that is set before us. You got to surround yourself with people that will encourage you to persist in the race, to encourage you to persist towards what you've determined beautiful in the Lord and what God has for you. Context and the people around you matter. So consider conviction, character, the cloud next come to him. Listen, you're not going to persist for the beautiful if you don't learn to come to Jesus. I'm not talking about just coming to the altar the time you got born again. I'm talking about coming to Him daily. You're going to have to come to Him because you're going to feel like giving up at times. You're going to have emotions that's contrary to wanting to persist for the beautiful, to persist in the beautiful, to remain married, to remain in that career, to see that business come to completion, to see that product finally be completed and, and launched, to persist in the beautiful. You're going to have to continually come to Him because you're going to feel like quitting. You're going to feel heavy at times. And Jesus says in Matthew 11, 28 29, Come to me, all you who are labor, all you who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus in Matthew 6, 6, He talked about another sea, that when you come to Him, He said, close the door. Close the door and begin to talk to me. Close the door and watch me fill you with the oil from on high. Watch me begin to fill you with the Spirit. Fill you with the empowerment of God, that when you feel like quitting, God can give you a strengthening by the power of His Spirit to persevere and to persist for the beauty beautiful of God in your life. Whatever you've determined in God is beautiful for your life. Whether it's that business, whether it's believing for a child, whether it's believing for the salvation of your grandchildren, whether it's opening that new store, whether it's seeing that new product and invention come to pass, whether it's learning passages of God's Word, whether it's writing that book, you're going to have to learn to come to Him and unload the heaviness and the burdens of the process. Can I hear an Amen. Nehemiah said, now therefore, O oh God, strengthen my hands. You're going to have to come to Jesus and get some forms, some rhythms, some habits to get filled with His strength, to get filled with His preserving power of His presence and the power of His Holy Spirit if you're going to persevere for the beautiful. Then the last C is you're going to have to continually praise. Because words charge if you want to charge yourself with the strength of God, then you're going to have to give, keep giving God praise even in the process, even in the persisting. But if all you do is the one C we don't, if you just complain, you're going to start charging yourself 
with negative energy that makes you feel more heavy, that makes you want to give up more, that makes you want to question that it's beautiful and that God can enable you to acquire the beautiful you've determined is beautiful for your life in the future. You've got to continually praise. You remember in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus was born? There was a woman named Anna. She was a prophetess. She was of great age. Though she had been married, her husband seven years after her marriage, she married as a virgin. Seven years after he died and she was a widow for 84 years. But she persisted for 84 years as a widow waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise in her life. How in the world does a woman persist? It says she was continually in the temple giving God prayers and praise. What I'm trying to tell you is that to persist for the beautiful. Her beautiful is God promised and said before you die you're going to see the ladder. You're going to see that stone. You're going to see the chief corner stone the Messiah you're going to see the way the truth and the life back to the Father and she persisted waiting 86 years continually praising God in Luke 24 53 it says they were continually in the temple praising God I want to tell you friend if it's beautiful then it's worth persisting in God's plan for this church is beautiful, then it's worth persisting in. If God's plan for your marriage is beautiful, then it's worth persisting in. If God's salvation of your generation or your children and your grandchildren is beautiful, then it's worth persisting in. If that business God has for you is beautiful, then it's worth persisting in. If that friendship is beautiful, then it's worth persisting in. If you deem it beautiful, it's worth persisting. Because that's what we see in Isaac. He said, Rachel is beautiful to me. And he persisted. Longer than he thought. But he persisted. How do you determine, friend, what's beautiful to you? I don't want you to deem the wrong things to be beautiful. Things that God says, no, that's not beautiful for your life. I don't want you to live an entire life defeated and depressed and having self-wrath and self-hatred. I don't want you to live your entire life with broken relationships. I don't want you to live your entire life depending on your own strength and stamina to try to be successful. Listen, but how do you determine what's beautiful? You need to answer that question. I'm calling you into that question for this week. That you would come to Jesus. You would come to the beautiful chief cornerstone of Jesus. Realize there is oil from heaven. There's a promise of the power of the Holy Spirit who will lead you into truth, lead you into the goodwill of the Father, lead you into the beautiful of your life, and you can commune with Him to determine what is beautiful for you. And once you determine it's beautiful and it's okay with Jesus and not, not beautiful to Him, now you've heard how to persist in the beautiful. We're going to receive communion today. Jesus said, listen, as you wait for me, as you wait for my return, which is going to be beautiful for my belief, for those that follow me, it's not going to be beautiful for those who reject me, but it's going to be beautiful for those who follow me and obey me. And he says, as you wait for the beautiful of my return, he says, as often as you do, take communion, remembering my death. Is his death beautiful to you today? It's his death that made, was that ladder that you and I could have access to the presence of God, listen, and have encounters with the work of His Spirit in the now. 
Today, may you fall in love again with the beautiful of God. Today, again, as you take communion, may the grace and the power of God be administered to strengthen you, to persist towards the beautiful, to persevere towards the beautiful of God for your life. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.